Jason Mitchell of Hemp Fusion. It is so wonderful to have you with me on Hemp Errands today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Joy. It's, I'm really glad to be here. I know we've been scheduling this for a while, so thank you. Yes, indeed. You are one busy man and one who I just so love working with. Now, Hemp Fusion is, of course, the through Ola Lassard, your director of marketing, is the president of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, our nation's foremost uh, hemp advocacy organization, and my happy place in terms of the many uh, nonprofits that I serve. So we do such important work uh, through the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, and you and I, while we serve on multiple committees, uh, tend to do our finest work together on the law and science committee. Of course, compliance, quality, safety, number one concerns for all of the leaders. Um, and certainly that goes double for hemp fusion. So you folks are really leading the way uh, in the hemp CBD world, not just in your quality uh, and safety of the products that you put out there for ingestibles, your actual CBD oral ingestion uh, products, but also your hemp over-the-counter drug topicals, legitimate registered over-the-counter drug topicals in the CBD space. And you are among the very, very few companies who have uh, been able to accomplish that. May I first start, as we often do, with what got you interested in hemp? Wow, that's a that's a really loaded question. You know, I it is. Um, for me, I grew up... Uh, a little bit different in the sense that I was in military school in the 80s. It was very conservative. Um, and I grew up in a time where it was say no to drugs. Um, do, you know, all those cliche statements that we now um, have kind of let, you know, pass away. But um, interestingly enough, I had some very interesting influence in my life. Um, the Reagan family, Ronald and Nancy Reagan, um, were influencers in my life. And it's kind of a long story, but I ended up living next door to Dr. and Mrs. Davis, who's Nancy Reagan's parents. And so Nancy Reagan's father passed away, Dr. Davis, and her mother, who had unfortunately dementia, and now they would call it Alzheimer's, but um, back then it was dementia and she was deteriorating rather fast. And there was a nurse there, Margie, and I was a sixth grader, you know, in 1982, 83. And so really quite cool that I lived next door to them and got to spend time and get to know them because I helped them move in and so forth. And so I used to have breakfast on the patio with Nancy Reagan. It was really, really kind of cool. And I got to know the Secret Service, any little kid. I mean, you can only imagine. And so I had a lot of that, you know, say no to drugs and that cannabis was a gateway drug and all this. And so I, 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 I had it in my mind as I grew into adulthood that I was rapidly, staunchly against anything to do with hemp or marijuana because one, I was ignorant to the point of knowing the difference really between hemp and marijuana. Um, but even more important, I was just so stuck in the eighties until about 2011, um, I got sick. I got ulcerative colitis, more specifically left-sided sigmoid ulcerative colitis, which is an autoimmune inflammatory bowel disease, which is pretty terrible. But if someone were to come to me and tell me that hemp cannabis or anything of the like would actually be beneficial to me, I would have rapidly rejected them. And and in 2011, I was also already a board-certified naturopathic doctor. So for me, I had this quandary that I was like, I'm not willing to accept what I have rejected my whole life ignorantly, right? And so I started to do some homework on, on things related to health and wellness for me because as a naturopathic doctor, I couldn't do anything to help myself. I was pretty helpless. I, I tried everything. It didn't work. And I had to have medical intervention. 
So I started to do homework because I was starting to unfortunately feel very insecure about the medications they were prescribing, things called biologics. They're immunomodulators, as they say, sounds sexy, but um, really what that means, it just turns your immune system off so you become vulnerable to everything. Um, in fact, cancer is even a side effect. So I looked at it and I said, you know, this can't be the case. This can't be the way to go. And so I started researching and I came across a terpene called beta caryophyllin and, and it exposed me to something called the endocannabinoid system. And they didn't teach it in medical school for me. So for me, I had to learn about it on my own. And I started reading, I was like, Oh, you mean to tell me I was wrong? And so for me, it was like this paradigm shift that I had to almost apologetically go out and, I don't know, produce results for people to understand, hey, wait a minute, this cannabis thing is the real deal. There's, I, I was wrong. Uh, everything I said before, don't listen to anything that I said. I was completely ignorant. And I think that people that come from my place are going to be more influential to do something about it because they're so passionate about it now because they're, they can't believe how wrong they really were. It's like almost like you're, I don't know, you can't not do something about it. The, the sense of justice, your sense of justice, which is what fuels me in, in this it's, movement. It's, it's medical justice, not really yes. the other justice, because that was never my thing. I never, but it was medical justice of saying, what an injustice to prescribe a medication that has such harm when, it, when you take the Hippocratic Oath to say you do no harm. And then all of a sudden there's something that literally doesn't do harm, but actually has amazing benefits. And, and so for that purpose, I was on a bit of a mission and landed in 2015 with some business partners to start the company Hemp Fusion. So I was really rapidly against. And so now I'm passionately for, oh. and I'll do anything to bring that about. So, Brother, I have had some fantastic answers to that question in my many, many over two years of, of Hemp Barron's interviews. That is an awesome answer to that question. Wow. And one that I didn't know before for as many conversations as we've had. Now, I also want the listeners to know that, and by 2015, though, you already have at that point, and if I'm getting ahead of my skis or misspeaking, you correct me, please, a successful going strong, and it's the, it's the probiotics that I take, Probulin uh, Dietary Supplement Company, where you are focused on gut health and probiotics. That already was in existence when you decided to also uh, start Hemp Fusion. Is that correct? 100%. Um, I was the chief science officer and one of the executives that was running a company called Country Life Vitamins. And in 2011, when I got sick, and in 2013, um, I departed from Country Life to start my company, Probulin, which is a focused on solely on probiotics and digestive and gut health. And that was a natural fit for my having an issue with my gut health, right? I was having, I was having challenges with ulcerative colitis, which um, in part, dealing with gut microbiome is somewhat of a, a contributing factor to say, hey, you know what? I need to support my gut health. I'm not suggesting that probiotics cure ulcerative colitis. I would never do that. But probiotics are something that if you support gut health, gut health is important for me to pay attention to and to bring attention to others that this is a valuable area um, because this is where I believe disease can start in many places, in, in, in large part. It's also an area where it helps you digest your food. It helps you with absorption of nutrients. The gut microbiome is involved in immune function. There's just so many different things that we underestimate, even in emotional health, that there's a gut-brain connection. I was just going to say, and that science continues to come out. I mean, a gut health connection with depression. It is, it is so, it, it's not unlike the endocannabinoid system. It, it, it touches everything. Yeah, they're interlinked to some degree. Um, and what's really special, in fact, um, this idea put out there by Dr. Gershon, the idea that there is this gut-brain connection, that this vagus nerve running from the brain to the gut, 
that it was this communication superhighway. Many people thought it was the brain to the gut. In fact, now what they're understanding is the exact opposite. In fact, more than an estimated 60% of the information is coming from the gut to the brain. So it's not exactly from brain to gut. In fact, you know, the best way to illustrate this for people that don't get it, they're like, no way, this can't be possible. And I'm like, well, have you ever been so hungry that you got angry? That's, you know, we call it hangry. Have you ever been so stressed out in your mind that you felt butterflies in your gut? That shows you that there is a direct connection. And so these things are really important to understand. And for me, helping people understand how important probiotics are was more about my inspiration because of my condition, not because probiotics cured my condition, but instead say, hey, take care of your gut. Because if you don't, you're going to, you know, those that if your gut fails you, the rest of your body fails. And I experienced that firsthand getting sick. And so for me, I want to encourage people to do it right. So. Yes, yes. So indeed. And I, I think before we move on now, I, I also want to make sure I tell folks, you know, Dr. Carl Germano, who you and I just have such a, a mutual respect for and admiration for, of course, has written a fantastic book, Road to Ananda, about the endocannabinoid system. And and I know that you um, have, a, have a piece of that, got to uh, contribute. And I'm sure it was, it was both an honor and a pleasure uh, to be a part of Carl's uh, tremendous work, but on gut health and the endocannabinoid system, a chapter in there. Again, an excellent book, Road to Ananda. We'll make sure there's a link um, to that as well in the rest of your assets for this show that folks can find on podconnects.com. That's P-O-D-C-O-N-X.com. Now let's for a minute, of course, you and I have so much bonded around, not only are you a naturopathic doctor and have a just a, a really leading command nationally on the endocannabinoid system, but uh, you are a legal expert in so many ways, or you just have a very sophisticated and strong command. Now, that is my area of expertise, my own business, Hemp Base International, of course, as an expert witness and legal consulting firm. But you have such a tremendous command, and oftentimes uh, you and I are bouncing a higher level or more detailed ideas uh, off of each other to sort of deliver to um, other members of, of projects that we're, we're working on. So let's talk a little bit right now, overview of the legal status of CBD as an ingestible. We're just going to talk for this part of our conversation on oral ingestion products marketed as dietary supplements uh, in the United States right now. Um, the, the listeners hear me talk about it all the time. For you, just just uh, the hemp fusion perception of what's going on with the FDA right now. Wow, that that's a loaded question, right? Like, so I think where the F, where the FDA stands right now, at least this is my humble opinion. Their primary responsibility, or so they suggest, is that human safety. And so I think that that's very noble and it's a very important one. So I don't disagree at all in any way, shape, or form with the FDA seeking a path of safety for consumers, because I think that should be, you know, from a consumer packaged goods product company like ourselves, Hemp Fusion, we should care about that. Any company getting into any space whatsoever, forget about hemp or CBD, their biggest concern, if it's something that someone consumes into their body, they should absolutely be concerned at making sure what they're selling is safe. I think that should be anybody's key responsibility. In and around the legal side of it, I think there are two primary hangups and one has already been solved. And that is in relationship to it being a part of the Controlled Substances Act. You know, what they wanted to make sure is that 
One, if this is something that there is some sort of loophole where people can use this as a toy and that somehow they can use it to get high and it's really not medicinal and it's not really a nutritional supplement and things of that nature. But thankfully, the 2018 Farm Bill pretty much clarified that. It removed hemp from the Controlled Substances Act. And I think that was just such a blessing and an honest thing, just an awesome thing to have taken place. But where the FDA also gets hung up is their responsibility as part of that administration is to approve drugs pharmaceutical drugs specifically. And so when they approve a drug in the cannabis space, as was done with GW Pharmaceuticals in 2017, they were granted an NDA, which is a new drug application um, for CBD and it's Epidiolex and it's used for uh, seizures and so forth. And and so there is a product on the market using a highly refined um, CBD as a drug. And so they have this this issue where they're, they're trying to also make sure that what's also being sold as a dietary supplement or as an ingestible is not also too similar to the drug that's being sold. And so I think that they have a bit of a quandary. Now, I will tell you, I think they've spent way too long expressing themselves properly as to what they believe the guidance should be. I really don't think that was okay. I think they should have been a little bit more rapid and responsive to that. And I think consumers deserve it. Retailers deserve it. Hemp growers deserve it. I think manufacturers like myself deserve it to clarify the path, but I think we're getting there. And so that's where I think it's hung up right now is it's just a lack of them providing a clear understanding of what they believe is the right path. But the beautiful thing is the laws already exist. There's something called the Code of Federal Regulations. There's something called the Food and Drug Cosmetic Act. There are pieces of legislation that already define how and what a dietary supplement is or isn't. And what the rules around providing data around safety, just that right there, that if we just take those pieces of legislation that already exist and say, okay, if it's going to be a dietary supplement, then it must qualify here and here. I don't think it had to be as complicated as it is right now, because I do believe that they're missing a really big point is the economic impact that hemp will have on our society, not only from an ingestible, but just so many other ways that it can actually be proliferated throughout our society. I think they're missing that it's a huge opportunity, um, not only economically, but from a health perspective. It really, we're, we're talking about improving the health and the quality of life and the wellness uh, for every citizen in the United States and, and throughout the world. And, and I so agree with you, uh, Jason, you know, as a developed country, consumer safety and public health is of of the utmost utmost importance not just for uh, regulators and lawmakers but as you say for for businesses themselves it's our responsibility to do this like to, to participate absolutely and i think the frustration comes when uh when it appears as though and the fda's role is is so very very important um is when it appears as though now it, it's been several years and it almost seems like and i say it a lot uh project cbd martin lee uh, put forth a, an article in the last year or so called Desperately Seeking Harm, Diagnosing the FDA's CBD Problem. So it, it's certainly true that they have they want to make sure, you know, that their dietary supplements products are not so close to a drug, but there does seem to be 
study after study after study showing the uh, the safety of certain milligrams and of course throughout the world we are seeing varying differences yeah. absolutely right. we we have uh, all everything from 70 in the UK or 60 in the UK to I think 120 in Australia and in terms of it has been determined by the equivalent of the FDA in those foods, it's meaning the Food Standards Agency for uh, UK and then the equivalent in Australia, that, that there is safety for human beings uh, at those particular milligrams per day. And we still have not been able to get the FDA to, to agree with that, to come up with that, and then create a regulatory framework. Having said that, we have a regulatory framework yeah, for the manufacturing, distributing, labeling, and holding of dietary supplements um, and of food, of course. Uh, the issue is what needs to be augmented or, or simple additions to that to the extent that particular warnings would need to be added for CBD or hemp extract products, um, and to the extent particular analysis, such as a Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol uh, concentration, there is a legal limit there, and, and other things. So we're talking about potentially some augmentations to labeling requirements and testing requirements specific to hemp extract, but the, but it's, a, it's simply adding or supplementing, as it were, the existing framework, which works very, very well for the dietary supplements. If I can add something to this kind of important, Please. is that, you know, the FDA also suggests that there hasn't been ample safety data put out there. I know that I've done, we, you know, we at Hemfusion have done extensive safety data. In fact, a whole set of toxicology studies that were done in accordance with the, um, the FDA Redbook 2000 guidelines that ultimately when you file or you publish something called a Noel manuscript, and then after a period after that and you're peer reviewed, you announce self-grass, which is self-grass affirmation means generally recognized as safe. We've already completed and issued our Noel manuscript to our publisher and we're just waiting the publishing, which is really a very important piece of the puzzle. In addition to that, we've already um, authored our entire NDI, um, our new dietary ingredient notification. So we've done certain things and then also participated in Valid Care's human observational liver toxicology study. In fact, the use of hemp fusions products specifically were anywhere between eight and 181 milligrams with an average of 39.3 milligrams of use and found zero toxicity. So to say that there isn't an ample amount of data, I know that I'm not alone. There are at least two other companies that I know of that have done similar data or at least have, and well, actually one of them particularly has the same, which is really quite special, but then another one that has similar data. So I know that there is safety data out there. I think the FDA can't really hang on that much longer. I don't think they should have the ability to. I think we should have the ability to put this information out there and have them respect and honor it as we would honor their patients they're taking, I guess you could say, in finding the right regulatory path. In, entirely. That That is just exactly right. And, uh, and of course, this is where HR 841 mm -hmm. was born. Um, and of course, the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, along with our coalition of the big four dietary supplement trade associations, you know, worked very hard on that bill. And of course, we now have uh, Senate Bill 1698, which is uh, Ron Wyden's bill for hemp dietary supplements and food and beverage. But basically, in both cases, Cases, we are we are directing the FDA to create this regulatory framework and it would open up the NDI pathway, the new dietary ingredient pathway upon which uh, hemp fusion is obviously so far down the road. 
um, which which pathway is not currently available to us due to the IND. Our world is so full of acronyms, the Investigational New Drug Preclusion, which you, of course, addressed when talking to the listeners about uh, about Epidiolex. So, and there are concerns, you know, we do lots of lobbying, including with the FDA on these bills. And, you know, the concerns that seem to be voiced are we're concerned about um, synthetics coming in from from China. Um, and of course, money to for enforcement. Um, there is this this idea that once that regulatory framework is created, that the floodgates will really open, as if the floodgates are not already open now, as if we don't have CBD products in every gas station and vape shop, not to mention the chain uh, stores, of course the large stores, um, but we really need to move forward with this. And You know what, Joy, let, me, let me mention something on this. It's really important because you, you hit on something is that, yes, there is wide distribution, but here's the hang-up. The lack of clarity from the FDA has stalled many digital platforms as well as large retailers that would otherwise provide access to the masses yes. that are truly wholesome, safe, and good for them, something that could truly help them and give them access with good education um, and an ability to get the right products manufactured the right way and hopefully at the right price that meets their needs. But a lot of these retailers, the biggest of these retailers, such as the Kroger's of the world, the Target's, the Walmart's, or Amazon or Tmall, and some of the largest platforms in the world are in a complete standstill and holding right now, in a holding pattern, waiting for guidance before they ever get involved in the adjustable. What's sad about this is, is that not only does it create jobs and economic impact, that's positive but so many more people would have access to it. And you know what? If they just put out even the most stringent guidelines, such as an NDIN process, the new dietary ingredient notification process, that's a very difficult process. You have a high bar um, to get over here from a, a regulatory standpoint. You're now then, you're, you're, you're forcing companies down this path and those that can comply will now have a product that has gone through the ringer per se with the FDA and will have had to submit to no objection before they can sell. And what that means is that the retailers are one protected and the consumers know the products have been vetted properly. What an amazing opportunity that would be. And I think that that door needs to open. It surely does. And goodness knows we're, we're working on it so hard uh, through HR 841 at the roundtable and, of course, supporting S1698 uh, as well. The, diff- the main difference being that S1698 is, of course, opening up and, and expanding to food and beverage. And we'll see how far we can get uh, with that with the FDA. Um, let's talk for a moment about over-the-counter drug topicals versus cosmetics, because as we know, and it's just, it, it, it's so frustrating for me because I, I'm a rule follower and, you know, I'm, I'm a hemp law and policy expert. I'm a, I'm a compliance regulatory officer for heaven's sake. And if you are going to engage in legitimate distribution of whether you're a brand owner or not, so to say nothing of processing and manufacturing, let's just go with you're a brand owner. You are selling CBD products in the United States. There are very strict 
rules and laws and regulation, both from an FDA perspective and from an FTC, Federal Trade Commission perspective. Not only must all advertising, regardless of what we're talking about, be truthful, accurate, and not misleading in the United States, but there are very specific regs around how we can market a cosmetic and the claims we can make versus how we can market an over-the-counter drug topical and the claims we can make versus how we can market a dietary supplement and the claims we can make or food and beverage and the claims we can make and then drugs and the claims we can make. And even the words that we use, for example, something as, as, as simple as the word sublingual or the word dose or the word potent or potency, potent, potency, dose, sublingual. These are all words and descriptors that are specific and exclusive to the pharmaceutical drug industry in the United States. We cannot use the words dose, potent, potency, and sublingual uh, when we're talking about dietary supplements. We say serving sizes, not dose. We say strength, not potency, and so on and so forth. We, you know, we say put it in your mouth and, and swallow it, not under the tongue. Even using the words put this under the tongue. It's an implied sublingual claim, right? Is an implied is an implied sublingual claim, so we cannot use these to say nothing of this cures cancer or this will help with your you know the pain you've been living with for six years versus a particular structure function claim that we would be allowed to say for a dietary supplement such as supports. Let's see. Occasion. I guess what we would say is uh, use for occasional uh, discomfort associated with strenuous exercise or strenuous activity, a temporary state. Uh, again, with sleep. If we were just say, hey, this this works for sleep. If you just say this works for sleep without also saying during periods of occasional restlessness or for those occasional restless nights, now you're making an implied claim that it is a cure for insomnia, which is a disease state. And, and most folks don't, while we associate words like cancer, epilepsy, multiple sclerosis, those are obvious disease states, but so are the terms anxiety, depression, inflammation, pain. Those are also disease states and we're not allowed to use them, yet we see them replete on all of these different labels. Um, and, and it really is unfair because we have companies that spend everything from tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands to millions, depending on their scope, their interstate or international um, reach. But if we keep it just into the United States, bearing in mind that other developed countries have very similar laws around health and disease claims that we do, uh, they're spending all of these resources to stay compliant. And yet they're having to compete for shelf space due to the FDA not having a regulatory framework right now and due to the lack of education out there in the marketplace with folks who are making all of these unlawful claims. And, and it's super unfortunate. Now, that was a big way for me to then then move into, and the same is true with cosmetics. I get folks who all the time say, you know, why can't we say, we know that this CBD topical helps with pain. Why can't we just say it's pain relief? Well, because if you are not a true blue over-the-counter drug topical, which means I'll be able to look you up in this national drug code directory that the FDA has, and I can look up hemp fusions products there under your, of course, your your mother company's name. I can, you're all there, along with Ben Gay. They say, hey, Ben Gay gets to say helps with pain. Uh, Tiger Bomb gets to say helps with pain. Why can't my CD cream 
because you're a cosmetic unless you are a true blue over-the-counter drug topical, which I would know because you'd be listed right here in this FDA directory that's available online. Then you're a cosmetic. And cosmetics are only allowed to do a couple of things. They're allowed to improve the appearance of the skin and clean. And yes, they can moisturize, which ultimately suggests that it might approve the appearance of the skin. That's it. That's all that cosmetics can do. They have no other function than that. And unlike dietary supplements, there's no special structure function claim that you're allowed to make. There is no, well, for occasional periods of... of um, sleep, I can rub this on my temples, or for occasional pain due to uh, strenuous exercise, I can put this on my knees. There's none of that. You are either a cosmetic, and therefore you're beautifying or cleansing, or you are an over-the-drug topical, and and you must meet certain criteria for being able to be an over-the-drug uh, topical. And with that, sir, could you please elaborate on what this means to you and the accomplishments and products that are legally available through Hempfusion? Absolutely. So you covered a lot there and it's all, you were hundred percent spot on. It's, it's, it's really important. I, I always say this too. When someone is suggesting that the product sounds too good to be true and they're, they're telling you that it cures this, cures that, that would be the first product I would put back and put down because if they're willing to skirt around the law, making claims, they're not legally lawfully allowed to, what other things have they forgotten? Possibly the right testing, possibly the right manufacturing, impurities, other things that they are going to be concerned about. If they're willing to break the law in one way, the chances are they're willing to break the law in others. And so I would say to you is if someone's making a disease state claim, which means if there is a diagnosis under a medical condition, if there is a pharmaceutical or medical treatment for said condition, that is a drug. That is a drug. That is a drug discussion. Um, but when it comes to a cosmetic, like you said, cleanse or beautify is the only thing you can do. And you know what a lot of people have tried to do is they've put all these ingredients in there and then they, they say, you know, relief um, from, you know, and, and they start going into these drug claims. And as a cosmetic, they're wrong. In fact, there are large brands that were called out in 2019. The summer of 2019 is where it, 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 it really got me very interested in launching OTC drug listed topicals. Because when I saw the cosmetics land on the shelves of Walgreens and CVS and I watched, I looked at the claims and I'm like, that's illegal. That's a cosmetic. You can't do that. You're suggest the data says consumers are looking for CBD for three primary areas, pain, stress, and sleep. Okay. And so people are trying to figure out how they can market to them products that will achieve this goal. Well, the bottom line is, is that just because the people are looking for them for that reason doesn't mean you should build a product that says specifically that unless, of course, you're able to follow the rules. And so for me as a dietary supplement, totally structure function other than what you had mentioned, which is really important for the relief from minor aches and pains associated with strenuous exercise or so on, because it's a temporary state that has a structure function of something your body went through and so on, period. Structure function has got some really clear definitions of what it is and more importantly, what it isn't. And so there are rules around that. Cosmetics say, beautiful cleanse, OTC drug-listed products. In order to be an over-the-counter drug-listed product, you have to have what in there a, a, uh, an approved drug monographed ingredient. And so in the area of minor aches and pains, there are things like menthol, camphor, um, methyl salicylate, 
and, and others. And they're, they're known as a classification called analgesics. And so if you're going to create an over-the-counter drug-listed topical, regardless of all the other ingredients you put in, your claim related to the drug must be 100% focused on that approved drug monograph ingredient. So if you were looking at Hemfusion's products, we clearly label that it is menthol. Menthol is an analgesic. It is approved. The cool thing is, is we're using real peppermint oil to do it as opposed to synthesized methyl, um, menthol crystals. We use real peppermint oil, much harder to manufacture a product that way because its validation is so much more difficult. But we wanted to use real ingredients. It's something that's in my DNA big time and organic when and if possible. But you have to use the approved drug monographed ingredient. Now, there is a section of these ingredients called inactive ingredients. Now, what's really important is there are some companies that will put on their labeling, they'll say like pain relief with CBD and then conveniently apply the CBD to the inactive ingredients. But clearly on their front label, they have made CBD the active. In fact, they don't say anything about menthol. That is an implied claim of pain relief on something that does not have an approved drug monograph. And, and that's very deceptive to the consumer. It's not legal and puts at risk so many of the retailers that sell it, as well as um, the, the manufacturer and all of their staff are at risk at that point. And so it's really unfortunate that people take that liberty. And there have been warning letters handed out. Now, Hemp Fusion's OTC drug-listed topicals do have hemp in them. It has hemp-derived omegas. It has hemp-derived CBD. It also has aloe vera. It also has shea butter. It also has so many other wonderful skin conditioning ingredients. In fact, we took it to such a degree that we do not apply the pain relief claims to anything derived from hemp, whether it's true or not. And the reason why that's really important distinction is that I'm not going to elude whether implied or explicit to something that is not legal because I don't want to be deceptive to the consumer. I want to create a product that in its own right, if hemp wasn't in it, it works for pain relief, no matter what it works by itself. The addition of the hemp derived ingredients are so incredibly important. In fact, we went through a really arduous task of identifying so far to date, we've identified in our hemp extract raw material, 94% of what is actually in there. There's only 6% of the quote unquote molecules that can be tested for that we have yet to identify what its true identification is. And this is through extensive testing and, and lab, um, uh, lab testing creation of, of methodology to find out what's in it. Our hemp extract has a high percentage of omegas, three and six. That omegas three and six are a long known skin conditioner that helps helps with that what's brightening and moisturizing the skin, and 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 CBD being part of this is such a crucially important ingredient along with terpenes like beta caryophyllin and so many others, and then aloe vera and all these wonderful moisturizing ingredients that make up what we believe to be one of the most effective OTC drug listed topicals. But it's really important to understand we do so legally correctly. And all of the inactive ingredients are in fact there. Now, what us some do is they'll put in high concentrations of CBD, clearly not an inactive, that, but they'll arbitrarily put it in the inactive ingredient section. And I only caution people to understand what's at work here is unfortunately a piece of deception. And that's why so few companies have done it correctly. And, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a doctor that thinks like a lawyer, so I'm a real buzzkill at the regulatory barbecue. But the fact is, is that it's really fun to do it right because it's challenging. And then when you see the consumer response, that they get the result they want and that you did it correctly and you were able to sh um, 
you know, create a, the proper messaging and everything and, and reach that consumer properly, they're going to have a tremendous amount of trust in you and have longevity in their support of your brand. And so that's why we did it. We create this brand loyalty by virtue of doing it right. And doing uh, also making completely outstanding products as well. And I think folks don't realize that even things like acne, you know, is is a disease state. Um, we've, again, cosmetics are to cleanse and to beautify, not to deal with a disease state of acne or eczema or, or any of those things. So it's just, uh, it's so important. And I really loved what you said earlier. And as you know, I do a lot of public speaking and I often speak on what consumers need to know before they buy. And I, I have a slide that I rail on, which is on these claims. And I say, listen, if you've got a company here that's making all of these claims, understand that's your first red flag. That's a major and, and valuable red flag that you're looking at a company that is not either either w is willingly refusing to follow the law or they're ignorant of the law. Either way, if I'm looking to put something in my mouth or absorb it through my skin, do I want to deal with a company that is either willfully refusing to follow the law or is ignorant of it? When we're talking about, you know, this is this is the end result, it's the label, what on earth happened with the processing and the manufacturing, et cetera. It's just so, so very important. Um, is there anything uh, that any exciting announcements with regard to hemp fusion, something on the horizon that you can either hint at or tell us about, mister? Well, okay. So as a publicly traded company, it's very difficult. I can't give future guidance and things of that nature, but I can tell you it's something that just happened recently. Awesome. Very, very excited about this. We've been working on it for about eight months. And well, you know what? Before I even tell you this, I'll tell you this one part. Because of COVID, we've had so many challenges from international distribution perspective because so many countries were on lockdown and we were very diversified internationally. We had a very large presence from our Probulin probiotic brand in the UAE, United Arab Emirates, and the Middle East, um, where there is a huge need for gut support. Um, they haven't really wrapped their head around hemp just yet, but we think we're getting there. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that Pro Pro Probulin was a leading brand or is a leading brand in the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, but in Dubai. However, they shut down for about a year. And so we had nothing. And so just recently we got, you know, it doesn't sound like a big thing, but almost a quarter of a million dollar order from them, which is very typical. They did it every quarter and so forth. And so to see them coming back alive gives me encouragement, not just from a revenue for my company. That, that, that's the least of my worries right now because we're building and that's wonderful. It's just that People are starting to come back out, feel safe, secure. People are healthy. And I think that's just a huge encouragement that globally we're starting to get past something that I'm very happy about. And so that started to open up and that's been happening this quarter. And that's really amazing. But just in the last two weeks, we made two, not one, but two acquisitions um, from Hemp Fusion's perspective. Um, approximately 14, 15 days ago, we announced the signing of a definitive agreement to purchase 100% interest in Apothecana which is a brand solely focused on topicals. And what's really most amazing about that is they've got a huge following and that acquisition nearly doubles Hempfusion's sales, which is really spectacular. But what's really special about it is they don't have any ingestibles. In fact, their fear about it was is that the compliance side of it and the fact that we've taken such, we've gone to such lengths from the compliance side that we're ready, no matter what the regulations come out, no matter what the guidance from the FDA is, we are already cocked and loaded and ready for no matter what they say. We can install an ingestible program near immediately into Apothecana, and they're excited. In fact, we're already in the development of. Then, nearly, then only one week later, we announced the acquisition of Sagely Naturals. 
And Sagely Naturals is very, very special to me. Um, they are the largest woman-founded, woman-owned um, CBD company in the industry. And what was really special about them is these two amazing women, um, Kerrigan and Kaylee, they, their, their whole motto was that I want to revolutionize the medicine candidates so that women can feel their best. And so for me, I was like, wow, you know, um, that's a very special underserved product marketing perspective that we need to be more conscientious of because I think women ultimately are larger purchases than any other, right? They just are. And it's because they care. They do their research. They're smarter than us guys for sure. Um, we go in blind and buy whatever. They actually do their homework and say, what's best for my family, which I've always loved because quite frankly, I, I I'm, I'm very much a guy in that respect. And when, when I see how much care and concern, and I've been such a data nerd to look at why um, people are buying. And so they too are only in their infancy stage of developing an ingestible program and, and very, very typically topical. And so it's just been really special to, and we've been working on these acquisitions for eight months. Some people would think it's kind of like a public markets thing. We're just going to buy revenue. Not at all. This was extremely strategic to making sure that we could round out our portfolio in fact, appeal to consumers in so many different ways that others are not doing properly and that we would have an award-winning enterprise. It doesn't just have to be Hemfusion or Probulin. It can be another brand um, like Apothecana or Sagely. And so we're so very excited about those things. And that's really what's happening. And even a, a very large retailer here in the U.S. Um, decided to award us with 10 um, SKUs of private label. And they are um, a large publicly traded um, grocery retailer. And they awarded us 10 SKUs of private label. And so what was really special about that is the trust, not only what our brand was already doing with them, but to award us such a thing um, was such an honor. And to be able to do something in such a big way for the, with them just makes me realize that every day we're doing the right thing. You know, and that's really important. So those are some of the wonderful, exciting things that are going on right now. And I wish I could give more detail, but obviously I'm going to be very careful not to give things that are not already in the public domain. So, Absolutely. And no, it's terribly exciting. And you've positioned the company. You have been steering the ship of your company like the expert captain that you are through compliance and through knowing uh, what what these processes are. It's, it takes a very sophisticated command. And, and now the hemp movement was built on the backs of cottage industry. And we certainly want for everyone to be able to participate um, in this incredible opportunity uh, that exists, bearing in mind, of course, that uh, we are, are slowly but surely moving from this low volume, high margin industry to a high margin, lower volume industry. And so everything's going to sort of come out the way that it does. But those brand owners that are out there, those smaller players that want to get involved um, and those small batch folks to bear in mind that uh, that we do have um, these regulations in place and and also that once one of these pieces of legislation passes and it really is only a matter of time that new dietary ingredient the NDI obligations are going to be fast and furious coming along and bear in mind for those who are who are forward thinking 
that an NDI process, generally speaking, for a single ingredient, for one formula, and if you had formula changes, you're starting over in most cases, is about an 18-month process. And once the legislation passes, at most, the FDA will probably give around 180 days uh, to come into compliance. We'll see, um, in which means that it's an 18-month process, 180 days is six months, so folks pretty much need to be starting all of these toxicology studies to the extent they haven't already starting them now because at some point after this legislation passes, only those suppliers um, who have been able to demonstrate the safety of their product are, are going to be allowed to put uh, those ingredients, uh, those raw materials into the marketplace for manufacturing or for you know, final products. So- I would love to say this too. And you know, as much as I am a brand that wants my brand to be successful, it's not a single brand that needs to be successful. It's a category. It must be. Exactly. So I want to encourage these other brands. I mean, please start your studies if you haven't. And if you are already in the midst of them, Keep pushing through. I know it's hard to see the the light at the end of the tunnel when you're spending literally hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of dollars doing these toxicology studies, and it's taking so much time. It just seems like it never ends. The fact that we've already completed all of our toxicology studies and that we're ready to go today, like right now, yesterday, like if it is, it, it's such a feeling of relief. My only hope now is that I can get relief by them speaking sooner. Like let's get this legislation underway here, and so. It, I would encourage any brand to get involved. Now, here's the encouraging news. If a brand can't, they don't have the financial ability, they don't have, um, they're, they're way behind right now that they just don't know what to do. Well, then you need to be looking at what I had called out last year in January is that consolidation is happening. The ability to partner strategically with brands like Confusion or other brands, we want brands to be successful. And if there's something I can do to help another brand so I can play a role in the DNA of what they're selling, as long as I now have confirmation that that brand is doing something wise, safe, and compliant, that means everything. And then we create an industry and a category that creates jobs economically. The economic impact is huge and that we do it responsibly. It's when you do something right, it does not always mean that it's going to be right away. And so I, I jokingly say in a lot of the interviews that I've done before was that if patience was a currency, I'd already be a billionaire. So the fact is, is that you just have to be patient enough or strategic enough to identify partners like Hempfusion or others. There's, there's really only a handful of companies that might be ready to go today. And so align yourself with the right friends um, is what I would encourage anybody, because I think that we as an industry can do something really special if we do it right. We're doing it. Absolutely. And what an incredible steward of it uh, you are at Hempfusion. It's such a pleasure to work with you, Jason, and of course, with Ola Lassard, uh, one of my favorite just people, um, an amazing, amazing woman. What a team you have over there. Thank you for all of your activism as well. A very busy man who manages to find the time to participate and authentically care about various aspects of the movement that we're dealing with that many times don't have anything to do with hemp fusion at all, but you give of your time, you give of your knowledge and your experience. And it's so, so appreciated. Jason, we can't wait to have you back on again. I'm wishing hemp fusion, everything wonderful. And folks, uh, please go to podconnects.com. That's P O D C O N X.com and get all of these assets uh, and links 
to learn more about Jason and his incredible group of companies and, and what he's doing. Jason, we'll have you back on again. Thank you so much for taking your time to be with us today. Joy, it was truly an honor. You're not only a friend, but just such a good human being. And I'm just grateful to be a part of it. So thank you. Takes one to no one. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.